My name is Mary, but for the next few minutes, I'm going to be Auntie Mary because I'd like to invite up a couple that are like my baby brother and sister and my nephew Brody. So would the Dorman family please come up? Oh, you can clap. Yeah, it's exciting. (laughs) So this one over here is Gavin, and this is Lindsay, and this is my nephew Brody. There he is right there. And John Jay is going to be dedicating this precious baby to his parents, to God, and also to you. So make sure you're paying attention. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. I, um, yeah, we know Brody really well at the church. Uh, it's kind of the office mascot of sorts. Also, we know Brody as someone who likes to eat a lot and also likes to share what he's eaten in the form of spit up a lot. So I normally have this little cloth, but I'm going to open it all the way up. All the way up. We'll see what happens. Brody, do you want to go for a walk, buddy? Hey. Hey, buddy. Hey. So, uh, this is not the first time we've gotten to hang out, but I'm going to show you to the church and show the church to you because I want you to meet some folks. Would that be okay? I know, right? We put all these lights up just this week. Now, you're going to get used to, year after year, all of these different rhythms and patterns in this church. And you're going to expect, when it's November, that we're going to get these lights out and all this greenery out. And you're going to expect, whenever it's springtime, that we're going to start to think about Easter. We're going to tell you all kinds of stories about Jesus, about God, and about you. Now, these are all your friends and your family. I know that those are your parents up there, and you know them pretty well at this point. But they have found it in their lives and in their heart to share you. They're really good at sharing you, letting others get to know you and hold you and chat with you. And over time, some of these folks are going to want to tell you about who you are. They're going to call you a child of God. And then they're going to tell you what that means. What it means that you've been made in blessedness and in beauty and in love. And over time, you're going to come to believe them. And you're going to learn how to tell that story for yourself. Now, I know these folks. I know them pretty well. And they're really good at sharing the story of God with one another. Now, your mom is part of our team, part of our ministers and leadership. And so she's going to have her own way to talk to you. However, it's super important that you have other people in your life, too. So that your parents can sometimes just be your parents and not have to be your pastor, too. I've got folks who do that for my kids here. Now, church family, this is Brody. You've known Brody. You've been expecting Brody. Once Brody got here, you were so excited to meet Brody. Now he's here. He's big. He's growing. And he pretty much feels like this is home, right, Lindsay? Right, Gavin? This is kind of home for the whole family. We feel really, really fortunate that we got to know you and we're getting to know you. So much prayer went into hope and expectation that you might one day exist. And now here you are. And you're so funny, and you're so crazy, and you spit up so much. And sometimes you nap, and sometimes you don't nap. But what's really clear is that you're a gift. What's really clear is that you're a grace. And I've watched your parents, and they seem to know that too. They seem to know that you're theirs for a season, but not for forever. Church family, it's really a bit of an honor that we get to help raise these babies. That parents trust us. And it's a big trust that they put in us. Now, I do know that y'all are up for it. You've been up for it for a long time, uh, longer than I've been here, longer than we've been here. Um, But we talk about it a lot, Brody. We talk about setting the most precious people in our lives in the care of this community. 
And that's what we're doing with you today in a really intentional way. Is setting in the midst of you all the most precious that Lindsay and Gavin have. So that you can share the story of what God has meant to you over time. It is a bit of a blessing um, to be in a congregation where we can share the story of Christ in a way that we don't have to unlearn it over time. But we can tell the fullest and best version of that story with one another. So, we're going to say some promises, some intentions about how we hope to raise this child. First, we're going to start with the parents, Gavin and Lindsay. And I'll say, because I'm not always fortunate enough to know the parents as well as I know you, and it's really lovely to watch the way that you are loving this child and loving one another. Uh, It's a big example to all of us. And I know it's an example to you all, too. Um, So let me ask, will you promise to raise this child with the truest and most beautiful version of your faith, teaching him about Christ, about his father, so that when God calls Brody's name, Brody would recognize God's voice and answer, will you? I'll ask a little separately, Lindsay especially, will you allow Brody to be Brody? To not have to be perfect Brody, pastor's kid Brody, but just Brody. And as you get older, you're going to make mistakes that are bigger than just spitting up. Uh, and we're going to learn to love through all of that too. Um, but will you make space for this child to grow up and become who God made him to be? Will you? Amen. Gavin, you will too, right? <laughs> this is a temptation minister's faith particularly friends and family of First Baptist Church of Pasadena. Will you promise to be an example of Christ's love and affection for this family and for this child, for this baby? Will you? What's behind you, brother? That's so exciting. (laughs) Will you support... Lindsay and Gavin, in their marriage, in their partnership, in their friendship, so that they might have the best chance to cultivate love and affection in their home, in their lives, that would speak to the love Christ has for each of us. Will you partner with this family in the raising of this child? Will you? Okay. Brody, you have no promises to make today. You've got some time. We're just going to tell you this story over and over again. Lindsay and Gavin, this child is a gift, yours for a season. Brody does not belong to you. Brody belongs to God. And uh, moments like this, it is uh, a strange and acute reminder of how much is possible in this Advent season. Last year we were waiting for Brody, and now Brody is here. And it's a gift and a blessing, and we do give thanks. I'm going to pray a blessing over this family, and I'd ask if you would to add your own blessing to them in this season as they continue to raise this child and love one another. You see Dave and Cindy here at the front. If you are comfortable or able, you can reach out a hand as a way of signaling your own intention to send a blessing in this direction and a prayer. Gavin, Lindsay, and Mary, let's pray. God, with you, all is possible again. And in this baby's life is the future. Things not yet decided of love's not yet experienced, and heartache as well. We pray protection, enough so that they can thrive, and patience when struggles come. 
we pray a blessing over Gavin and Lindsay and Brody, over their home, their offices, the crib, the stroller, over all the burp cloths. We pray for good sleep for everybody. God, would you bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Would you lift up your smile upon them and give them peace. Now in all of their days, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brody. Thank you. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 10, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord. Do not learn the way of the nations, or be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, for the nations are dismayed at them, for the customs of the peoples are false. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of an artisan. People deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor is it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For that is your due. Among all the wise ones of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. Dear friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Angel. Good morning, everybody. Happy Advent. It is the first Sunday of Advent, the first Sunday of the church year, and I get to share a little bit with you this morning. Um, But before we begin, uh, I'm going to ask if you would join me in in a time of prayer. First Sunday of the month, we have communion, and also on the first Sunday of the month, we end our congregational prayer with a reading together of the Lord's Prayer. And so... uh, Brian, Ian, will that be up on the screen when it's time? Okay, so you'll see it behind me on the screen uh, if the words are unfamiliar to you. Uh, Let's bow and pray. Patient God, you've taken all the time in the world uh, to wait for us to be ready for you. And my guess is you're still waiting because we're still readying ourselves. So be with us at the beginning of this Advent journey, God. There is so much that we hope for. There's so much that pains us. All of it wrapped up in our hearts and the fragileness of our bodies, of our relationships. And yet still persistently we lean into joy. And recognize God in gratitude that that joy is from you. So on this day with these friends, be present here, God with us. 
And whether we can feel it or it just sounds like a great idea does not make it any less true. But we would like to know, to sense your presence here among us. And so whatever way you would whisper, whatever way you would shout, whether it's through this music, through these lights and greens, through our neighbors, speak to us. We are listening. And God, we join our prayer with the prayers of those across the ages and across the world, like you taught us to pray. I ask if you would join me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So Advent is the season <clears throat> that begins what we would call the church year. Last Sunday was Christ the King Sunday, which is the end of the church year cycle. This Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is four Sundays long, and it is the preparation period on the way to Christmas Day. We have this tradition in uh, side of Christianity where we have these big moments, really two big moments. It's Christmas and what? Easter. Easter, Yes. And we needed to prepare for those seasons because you can't just show up. Like, if you ever try to throw a birthday party and only it's taken like five minutes to prep and not sent out invitations and not gone to the store to get balloons and you sort of poured the cake mix in, but you didn't actually put it in the oven. Like that's not how a party works. It takes preparation and it takes time. Well, these two big moments in our own story, the story of God visiting us in Christ, the incarnation, and then the story of resurrection and Easter. Those are moments that we need some time to prepare for. And Advent is that season where we prepare for candles, while we're waiting for the Christ candle to be lit. Now this season, we always have to try to figure out what is it we're going to share with one another across the teachings during Advent. And this year, uh, we're going to take things in a, I would say, uh, how would you describe this, Corey? Like a, we've talked about this as a staff whenever we prepped. Comforting? Peaceful? I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best. Uh, we're going to look at four of the big sort of images and symbols of the season and kind of how we arrived at those being really important inside of our own celebration and remembering. Specifically, we're going to talk about greenery, talk about lights, feasting, and gift giving. And then for the carol service, we're going to talk about the importance of singing together. And we're going to look at how those traditions developed over time and what it means that we still embrace them today. So today, we're going to talk about like this fella right here. Not just this fella, but also, or, or lady, um, I don't mean to gender the Christmas tree, but also the garlands that are all around you. You could also count the poinsettias in this list. And uh, yeah, we're going to look at Christmas through the view. Oh yeah, it's all behind there in the baptistry as well, a whole bunch of trees. Through greenery. Are you ready? You may know some of this. Uh, part of what we're going to do today is talk about a little history, how we ended up with Christmas the way we celebrate it today. Because we do know what it is, in fact, we are waiting for Advent. Uh, all of these things, all of these symbols and images, they are meant to remind us of this big story. That God 
was born in our midst in Jesus the Christ. You'll have things like this, the manger scene, the nativity scene. You've got shepherds, you've got Mary and Joseph always have some sort of animal. It's always a cute animal. What if they didn't have cute animals? What if it was just like weasels in the manger scene? You don't know. It could have been. Or those really loud and annoying goats that keep yelling. What if it was just a yelling goat in the manger scene? Uh, and so you've got this scene, but somehow from this scene, we end up with like all of this that's around us, all of these kind of preparations and trappings. I often wonder how we got here. Uh, so imagine someone like Joseph saying, you know, what this party needs, the big old Douglas fir tree, right? It's actually not, I'll say, if you're not familiar with the Christmas stories in the Bible, it's not in the text. I've written this in. Um, but then you get it, and then all of a sudden everything makes sense. So how did we get to this point? Because it took like hundreds of years before the early church started to think about Christmas as a season we would even celebrate at all. Because we were for a long time Easter people. Easter was our big day. That was the moment in our story. All four gospels talk about the resurrection, talk about the crucifixion. Not all of them talk about the birth of Jesus. And in fact, this idea that you would celebrate people's birthdays is, it just wasn't part of the early church's experience. In fact, they had a birthday. Your birthday was when? It was the day of your death. Yeah. Whenever you go and find saints who died in the first like 200 plus years of church history, uh, if you were to find one of their graves, you would not find a date of birth marked. You would find the date of death marked because that was the day when they were born anew into God's presence and God's kingdom. The Easter people. This is part of why you only have the Christmas story as we know it, the story of Jesus' birth show up in two of the four Gospels. So there's four stories about Jesus in the Bible um, that we talk about. uh, The Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the first four books of the New Testament. Each of them tell the story of Jesus' life. Now, it seems quite important. When I tell the story about my kids, we always tell the story about how they were born because each of them had this really unique birth story. And uh, how many folks in here have heard some version of their own birth story from friends or from family? Just raise your hands real quick if that's you. Right, it's like part of our history. You kind of, I don't remember what it was like for me, but I remember my mom telling me, and I don't know why she would tell me that she labored for 28 hours, but she would remind me all of the time that she labored for 28 hours. And then also I was born with a cone head because uh, I just did not make it out. Uh, I was too big in the noggin. Like these are all part of my story. And we've got our own version for Judah and Ruthie too. But of four versions of the telling of Jesus, Only two mention his birth. The way they tell the story of his birth is markedly similar to the way that you would talk about royal births in the empire. About stars showing up in the sky, about the son of God coming to bring peace on earth. That's the way that Augustus was talked about. Caesar was talked about. So already you have this kind of mixing and and constellation of meaning taking place inside this one story. But somehow we go from this manger scene in Bethlehem, in Israel, to this like whole thing that we call Advent and Christmas. And we kind of just do it. I I know I just, I sort of lean into it as best as I can. Uh, But all of these symbols and images that we sit within in the Advent season, they arrived to us and we figured out a way as God's people to fold in these different traditions and these different meanings. So let me tell you how we got here in the way that we celebrate today. 
First things first, by the way, parents, you might have some explaining to do with your kids, so that's okay, because they're in here with us too. Um, But here's how we ended up with Christmas as we know it today. Uh, December 25th is not, in fact, Jesus's birthday. I know, I know. What's December 25th? Equinox? Yeah, it, it's like a, it's a season in the kind of sun cycle, harvest cycle. Uh, December 25th happens to coincide with some really important days in other cultures. It doesn't exactly matter when Jesus was born. That wasn't a big concern of the early church, but also, uh, we can remember what happened on certain days without having, not having to have had happen on, on that day. So December 25th is not in fact the day that Jesus was born. June 12th was the day that I was born, in case anyone's wondering when to bring me presents. I can say that with some definitiveness. However, there is this thing that happens in December. And in fact, it's happening right now, which is why I'm wearing like 17 layers of clothes up here. Uh, it gets cold and it gets dark earlier. The days get shorter, the nights get longer. This thing happens in this season. It's always happened in this season. We are people of the light. Like we, we enjoy being in the sun. We enjoy seasons where it is temperate and our bodies and our communities, they don't thrive when things get dark and in fact can feel quite depressive. Y'all know what seasonal affective disorder is? And everybody probably at some level is affected by it, especially from LA because we have one season. Uh, and then every once in a while we have like a storm or fire. Um, seasonal affective disorder is this condition whereby certain levels of depression and anxiety can set in depending on what's happening with the weather. I know this because I feel this in my bones. I have been so grumpy this week, y'all. Have, has anyone else been, don't, you don't have to raise your hands, but I get, I can get so grumpy if it rains for longer than like two days. Or if the sun doesn't show up, it affects me. In fact, it affects all of us in certain ways. And this has been true across time. So the winter solstice is what we would call like as the days get the darkest that they will get. Uh, the days are the darkest for the longest. It gets the coldest and people get the most like just kind of sad. And humanity has this thing inside of them where we don't exactly love these feelings. So we come up with ways to cope, to survive the sun's retreat. For a long time, ancient folks would think that, okay, if the days are getting shorter and the nights are getting longer and also it's getting colder, then it seems like maybe the sun is getting sick. Because the sun is itself like kind of a celestial being and it's as though the sun is retreating. And so they would begin to mourn the sun's illness and then at the day when things turn and the days start to get longer again, they would celebrate that the sun is getting well, coming back to life. It's the cycle that would happen year after year after year, but as things get darker, you got to deal with it in some kind of way. For instance, in Alaska, where I do not live, and I don't know how I would survive in Alaska, uh, during this season of like November, December, January, February, when it's really, really depressive, um, they have to call in extra ministers into the villages and towns because levels of like alcoholism and domestic violence and depression, they shoot through the roof because things are so difficult in that space. Christianity was born 
in this area of Israel and uh, the ancient Near Mideast. And in that area, it's decently temperate. Like right now in Jerusalem, the temperature is somewhere in the 60s. And so while they would have had their own kind of celebrations and what they would have called midwinter festivals, uh, they didn't have all of this. They didn't need all of this. But over time, Christianity moved. It moved from a temperate climate and it started to migrate north. It goes into Germany, into other parts of Europe, into Scandinavia. And each time it moves north, the weather gets colder. And as the weather gets colder, they start to encounter the necessity of these midwinter festivals. Now, here's the thing that Christianity is really, really good at. It's at looking out into the culture and naming the beauty and the good and claiming it for God. You saw in your text this morning out of Jeremiah chapter 10, this concern. And if you read it, you might have heard like, oh, this sounds like we're probably not supposed to decorate for Christmas, which is a thing that Christians did a lot of the time. Puritans out of New England hated Christmas for a long, long time and banned it. In Boston for quite a long time, it was illegal to celebrate Christmas because that is so much fun. But you heard this passage from Jeremiah 10, and here's the reason why there's been a concern about celebrating in ways that are maybe of the culture, but not of the faith. Do not learn the way of the nations or be dismayed by the signs of the heavens, for the nations are dismayed at them. The customs of the peoples are false. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of an artisan. People decked it with silver and gold. They fastened it with a hammer and nail so that it couldn't move, basically turning it into some sort of idol. It has been over time uh, really natural to pull greenery into dark spaces whenever things are dead outside. If all the trees are withered and you feel yourself sad, then you find the trees that still look alive and you carry them back in because they seem to have this kind of like almost superpower to stay alive. They speak about the tenacity of life. And so folks have cut them down and brought in greenery all the time when the days get longer. And at first, this greenery was a sign of whatever gods were present at the time and the gift of the Roman god or the gift of the Egyptian god or the gift of the Babylonian god. And this was the way that you would remember. And often you would cut these things in such a shape that they looked like the god and you would worship. And so there was this concern that if we act like the other nations, then we will get led astray. And you can hear that in Jeremiah. But I want to read to you this last line. This is the power of our story in the world. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor is it in them to do good. These are just signs and symbols. The way we see them, the way we understand them and fold them into our story is where they get their power from. This has always been the way that Christianity has worked itself out. It has always been in the midst of other cultures. At some point in Rome, they had these festivals called Saturnalia festivals, and they would worship the sun god, and they loved these festivals. They were super fun. And so when Christianity slowly becomes popular and then slowly becomes institutionalized, they're either going to have to do away with all of this partying and fun, or they're going to have to find a way to recast it in this new story. So there's this compromise that is born. 
and all of a sudden trees and greenery and lights and feasting and dancing and singing, well, that just gets re-aimed. No longer is it like the worship of a god. It is now just a tree. In fact, a tree that belongs to God, the creator. And its tenacity for life speaks about this God's ability to bring life from all kinds of despair. And when light shows up in the world out of the darkness, well, we have a story for that. No longer is it the sun God that's dying and then raising back to life. Is that this is how hope works itself out in the shadow seasons. There's always this concern, and I feel it even now. Like, I'm so, I get exhausted about the war on Christmas. Because Christmas has always been a little bit of a mishmash. Of us making space for culture and culture making space for our story. And you hear today, like, we, well, we can't, like, We can't celebrate this tradition because it doesn't say it in the text in this way that we can celebrate this tradition. Or uh, there's no value in that culture because they have not yet discovered the way we tell the gospel story. And what I'm finding over time is that where there is goodness and where there is beauty, we are allowed and in fact mandated to claim that for God. Where we find people in despair and then gathered around a fire in hope, we can name that as sacred. That impulse. And this is what I love about humanity. Is there is this. This tenacity to see. And to name. Christ. In all things. It is never. We are all. We have always been a people. Who do not invest objects. With the spirit of God. But all things point back to their creator. We don't have to fear them. We have to see the source in them. So a tree is just a tree. But this tree, well, it does something to us. It does something to me. Like I said, I was really grumpy this week. Like really grumpy. And I... uh, I happen to be married to someone who is less grumpy than I am 99% of the time. And she's very good at uh, crafting a space and an experience so that joy is the most possible. Like part of what we're seeing here is our congregation and our staff working very hard to craft a space so that joy is the most possible. And uh, last night was our night to get the Christmas tree. So we drove down and got a tree, strapped it to the top of the car. Um, you know, it's always strange to, like, find a tree that's been cut down and then go stick it in your house. But uh, we do it because it's a tradition. <laughs> you can hear my grumpiness, right? And, uh, and then we get all the family decorations down. And last night, uh, Ruthie, can I share this story from me? Not from you, from me. Last night, I was in a... I'm not you, not you, me. (laughs) I was in a grumpy kind of way. And I looked down at the kids and I said, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to lean in hard to what Corey is helping us see today. I had felt the shadow season. I had felt the cold. I had felt how hard it is to sort of like conjure up joy when things are complicated. And goodness gracious, folks, like things are complicated right now. The world is strange. 
And it can get really exhausting to just sit around all the time and only see the shadows. So I said, just for this night, I'm going to try to see the light. I'm going to try to see the green. I'm going to try to see the life. That is, it is tenacious. It is pushing through the darkness. That's what the gospel has been doing in the world. Is it sees light. It sees life. It sees possibility, hope, and it claims it. And this is what I'm going to invite you into this Advent season with each of these symbols. Is to see joy trying to be born and to bring it close to you. Followers of Jesus are first if they are anything Lovers. We didn't come to the depth of our faith in pure rationality, but we fell into it the way you fall into a kind of affection. And when you love, well, everything starts to remind you of your love. Read the book of Song of Songs. All of a sudden, like deer and grapes. And mountains, it all reminds you of the one you love. And what we are cultivating inside of ourselves is an affection for God and for what God loves. And so when we see, like, coming into the sanctuary and feeling ourselves lifted, there's a part of us that is calling out to the source of joy and love. And it is good and it is proper that when you feel yourself flash with warmth, that you would bring that close to the heart of God. You might be surprised at what reminds you of your love. Here's what I know about this world. It is that joy is stubborn. This is always what surprises me about people, what surprises me about my family is that things get hard. The nights get long. But humanity finds a way to rediscover hope. In the season of that first advent, the nights have been growing long for quite a while. Israel had been occupied for a long time. Mary and Joseph were called into their hometown so they could be counted for a census so their new taxation could be set upon them. She was pregnant and traveling, which is a precarious situation. In some versions of the telling, the powers that be Herod and others were already after them. And so they deliver their baby in a risky place at a risky time in a risky season. Somehow those with eyes to see show up. The shepherds, the weasels, whatever animals, whatever angels were present in that moment and claimed in that shadow space that light was born again. So here's what we're going to do each Sunday, friends. We're going to call forth hope and joy in our own hearts in this city, in our homes, in our workplaces, 
Not a false and a fake kind of joy, but one that recognizes the shadows and says that they don't have the last word. We're going to believe as deeply as possible that God has shown up in our midst and that it has changed everything. And if you find yourself in a shadow season, my prayer for you is that you find someone who will sit with you there, who will wait with you there, exhibiting the patience of God with you there, so that when light breaks again, you'll be able to name it as the presence of God born again in this world. Maybe born here first. Friends, stubborn joy is yours to claim. And whether it's because you saw a tree, whether you saw stars at night, someone lit a candle or shared a piece of bread with you, all of these things speak of the generosity and affection of our God. Would you pray with me as we begin this Advent journey toward the manger? In stubborn hope, God, we will stay with this world. In shadow seasons, in pain, in struggle, and in violence, we don't make light of the symbols that surround us, but we claim them for you. We need to know that life is tenacious. And you make it possible for new life to move forward. Thank you for the trees. Thank you for the ones that stay green when everything else turns gray. Thank you for the way you've made these trees to smell. That you made us as the kind of people who can smell. Thank you for the way you nurture not just us, but all of creation. Bring us light that you would bring us back to life. And in all of this, through all of this and above all this, we are thankful for Jesus the Christ, who is the biggest surprise. Hope spring eternal. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.